And with that wonderful guitar solo, I want to thank all my fans who have commented on it. I'm Reed McCollum, and welcome back to another podcast about essential dynamics, uh, philosophy, uh, and perspective on how things get done in business. I'm here with the guru and master of essential dynamics, Mr. Derek Hudson. Derek, how are you today? Uh, Reed, I'm fine. I'll never get you to stop saying guru, but I'm a student of essential dynamics. A student. A student. student. Well, then what am I? I must be a peasant. You're also a student. Okay. Well, I guess we're at different grades then. Sure. Okay. Whatever. But I'm, I'm uh, great to be here today. Um, we could, I, you know, okay. one, of my, one of my close relatives is on the show today. So That's saying, right. We're, That's we're trying, right. we're trying a new, uh, yeah. a new philosophy here in our uh, essential dynamics uh, podcasting is we're trying to attract every Hudson uh, in Canada to see if they uh, are related to Derek Hudson because our guest well, today. We all are. Yeah, we're all of sons, course. We're all sons of HUD. <laughs> sons of Henry. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, we should introduce our, our special guest here is John Hudson. He's the artistic director of Shadow Theatre here in uh, Edmonton. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how the business of theater and the business of, of essential dynamics work. But first, let's get to meet John. John, this is Derek. Derek, this is John. Are you guys brothers? Well, we, we could be. Who knows? <laughs> We'd have to do the DNA test. <laughs> I, I got a lot of cousins I know and a lot more I don't know. So I'm going to count John as one of the cousins. Yeah, I know. that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So, uh, John, you, uh, you, uh, our, our listeners can't quite see you right now, but uh, you are the artistic director of our, of uh, uh, live theater here in uh, a going concern in Edmonton, and uh, and yet I don't think you fit the profile very well. I mean, you're you're a good looking guy who is who is a jock who who, who uh, coaches football. Uh, <laughs> How did you get stuck in a theater? Uh, that's a great question. I had to take uh, my career path was heading towards law. My idea was I was going to be a lawyer, but uh, I had, in order to uh, fulfill the requirements of my first degree, my undergrad degree, I had to do a uh, fine arts option. And I just thought, oh, well, you know, I've always liked drama and like the theater and I like the movies. I'll take a drama class. And then I discovered that's where all the pretty girls were. So <laughs> I see. So, so, so I stuck so, around. So it's still passion. It's still passion. It was totally yeah. passion. <laughs> How did that work out for you long term, John? Unbelievably well. <laughs> well, trace your career path for us. Well, I came out of uh, so. I finished that first degree. It was an undergrad in English, uh, BA. And then, uh, you know, the University of Alberta has a very fine uh, acting program, training program. And, and so I auditioned for that and was uh, fortunate enough to get in. And they take uh, 12 every year out of, a, you know, usually around 200 people um, will audition. And then, uh, so I, I had a very good basis in in training that way i was very lucky when i got out that i started just working uh, non-stop as an actor uh, but i always knew i wanted to direct and i just started right away um 
in the Fringe Festival and uh, kind of anywhere I get my chance, assistant directing and things like that, and just uh, learning the craft, uh, watching everything that every director did well and did poorly uh, in every production I was in. And of course, I was young, so I was very opinionated. And uh, I also knew I wanted to start a company. And the reason I wanted to start a company too was because as I came out, I realized that uh, jobs were few and far between for artistic directors. And most of the people who had actually started the professional theater community in Canada were still in the game at that point. Right. So there was just no flow, no natural flow of talent. Um, like with Britain and America, their, their profession, their, their professional communities are, have uh, been around so long that there's a natural flow of people retiring and jobs becoming available and people being able to move in. But I could see that really wasn't the case here. So, so I just said, well, I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to um, plunge in. And that's how we started Shadow Theatre. We started producing The Fringe and then moved out of The Fringe. And then here we are 30 years later. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so, John, how important was The Fringe to your uh, personal journey? Uh, unbelievably important. It really gave us all an opportunity to uh, test our chops a little bit and uh, understand the nature of producing as we took it really seriously. And, uh, you know, what is, how do you market the play? Um, you know, how do, how do you reach your audiences when you've got another 180 productions out there? Uh all of those things are really important. And for me as an artist, as a director, uh, it was starting in and just uh, uh, finding my voice and, and finding what I do best. So, yeah. At what point did mar- did marketing or making money, like being able to support yourself, uh, at what point did that uh, infringe, if you will, on your fringe activities? Well, here's the thing, right, is I uh, – I bought a video store. Oh. Yeah. In the early 90s, I had the opportunity. It was a little place um, on White Avenue that I was working at. Whenever I didn't have a gig, I would go work there and uh, loved movies and loved all that. And then they were a little bit in trouble, and I made them an offer for the store, which they accepted. And I ended up with a video store. And <laughs> like uh, a blockbuster it, video style. Well, we were a niche market. I turned it into a niche market video store where really you could find the very best in cin- cinema from the start ah. of cinema all the way through. I see. So, and it became incredibly successful and provided me a good source of income while we built Shadow Theater and worked on Shadow Theater. Cause it took about 10 years of work on Shadow before there was any money that uh, for salaries or anything like that. So, uh, you know, people say, I want to start a theater company. I always just tell them, well, it's, it's survival most stubborn. It's the survival of the most talented. So. The so, survival so of the most did. stubborn. That's interesting. Yes. Oh, I hope I haven't blanked out here. No, no, we're, we're picking you up. Great, John. Um, tons to, tons okay, to talk great, about great. there. Um, so one thing uh, in the nineties, buying a video store was a good idea. If you did it right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we need to explain to our young listeners that at some point the video store was the way to see quality entertainment. 
Yeah, it sure was. And it was, an, you know, it was an event for the family. They'd come down and scour the shelves to, to decide what they wanted to see. And really, at my, my store, you could, you know, you could see everything from old silent classics like Greed to Bergman films to uh, the very finest of uh, contemporary independent cinema, too. So people were coming from all over the city to find uh, the films they couldn't find anywhere else, right? So... Uh, that was that was super fun. It was a super fun business. To do. Yeah. So you were in a niche market, even yeah. even within a an industry. Yeah. 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 So, so the other thing that I'm interested in um, is, you know, everything relates to software sales now, and and you know repeatable revenue and things like that. And so one of the models in software, if you think about apps that you download on your phone, is this idea of a freemium product where you can get it for free. Maybe it's a limited function, but you try it out for a while and then eventually you, you commit money to it. And it seems like uh, both Shadow Theater and The Fringe, uh, you had the free part down for a long time before the, the paying customers uh, paid their way to the point where your people were making money. And I really appreciate what you say about being stubborn. Uh, were you entrepreneurs in the sense that you knew you were going to, make a lot of money if you did it right or were you artists that had a story um, to tell and you needed to be able to be sustainable and telling your story yeah, more of the latter yeah we uh we were passionate artists who uh, had a pretty good sense of business like the the two people who really built the company myself and Coralie Cairns Coralie Cairns was uh, like the bookkeeper at uh, the high level diner also an actor but you know that was her off the side of her uh, desk thing that she was doing and uh we built the company together and we we used a lot of common sense with business you know we knew how to look at a ledger we knew how to put together budgets and uh then we kind of figured out the rest of it uh together um and certain things fell into place for us uh and, and first and foremost was the building i'm in right now everything you see behind me is the Varscona Theater. I'm also one of the founders of the Varscona Theater. And I should space, say, and I should interrupt and say uh, that John was a prime mover and uh, the head of the yeah. reconstruction project. Tell That's them right. what, the, what the Varscona was before. Right. So I was just getting to that. That was, uh, it was called the Chinook Theater, but it's actually where Fringe Theater Adventures uh, was housed out of. So the Fringe was actually in this building. And then they were moving across the street. They were going to move out and the theater was coming empty. And we just had to be in the right spot in the right time to be able to move in and take over. And then once you have a, a building, it's much easier to build a lot, uh, an audience base from there because they know where you're at. They know the program is going to be consistent. And uh, that's where we started. I think the first year we sold subscriptions, uh, we sold 30. And we were so delighted to have <laughs> sold 30 subscriptions. It was just unbelievably great for us <laughs> so yeah and so you take it from there and you move forward and then you learn all the ins and outs on building an audience and a loyal audience base and um you know building sponsorships of companies uh finding where the government grants are that kind of thing so so it all comes together talk about the contrast between the old varscona as a building and the varscona in which you sit now oh my god the old well the, the building was originally a fire hall it was uh, fire hall number six. And 
when we took it over, it was not in great shape, but then we started programming so, so much in here. Like we, we really had about 320 performances a year oh at kind of the height of our um, schedule. When, and, and back in there, we had several companies. So there was Shadow Theatre, the company I was running, Teatro La Pundicina, uh, which was run by uh, Stuart Lemoyne. And then Rapid Fire Theater was in here. So we, and, and Dynasty. So Dynasty would perform Monday night. One of the main companies would have the Tuesday to Sunday slots. But Rapid Fire would come in late nights on Friday and Saturday night. So there was just constant flow of people. And the building really wasn't capable of handling that kind of load. And it started to uh, degrade pretty quickly. And the, like the washrooms were in terrible shape and... And then it became just difficult. Like we had people who were coming and I said this when we started because um, the building was completed in 2016, but we started work probably 2008 on uh, maybe even 2007 uh, on working towards the uh, refurbishment of the building. And, and that was my number one thing was the building can't keep up with what we're doing. And, uh, it's kind of disintegrating around us. And we're also not able, we're not attracting people who want the full kind of vision of what an evening out looks like. We had the people who loved what we did, loved the art and would put up with the building, but we weren't getting the people who wanted to have a lovely evening out and go to a lovely building and not have to worry that the bathroom stunk and <laughs> all those things. So, so I said, we have to, we have to do this. And then, so we, we started that, that process and then we raised uh, a little over seven million dollars to um, do the refer refurbishment now we have really a, a, one of the cultural cornerstones of the city and we'll be here for the next 80 years so when you say you raise seven million dollars that's not a, an easy task no if you said you say it in one sentence <laughs> it must have been it must have been just an enormous hill it was an climb. enormous amount of work and uh yeah, as I say, we started in 2007-8, and we finished in 2016. So it took us that long to get it all together. So, yeah. So it's, I'm sorry, Derek. Go ahead. Well, John, we don't uh, we don't need to go through all the all the donors and uh, all of the philanthropists that supported. But I do see that you've got the Allard family as uh, name behind oh you. God. So I, yeah. I wanted to shout that one out anyway. Totally, the Allards are just uh, unbelievably generous and thoughtful people. They really understand that uh, how to be a, a part of building a great community. And uh, we'll always be uh, grateful to them. And especially to Beth, who was our champion, Beth Allard uh, cloth. So yeah, it was great. Well, that's a, uh, that's a fantastic story. Now um, here on essential dynamics, we hear all the stuff in the world and then we try and sort of sort through it. So we understand it a little better. And uh, one of the things we talk about is that uh, to accomplish some great purpose, people have to go on a journey. So we talk about people, path, and purpose. And we're always doing this in the face of opposing forces. And so I'm interested in um, your personal journey first, and we can get the shadow theater a bit later. Um, what has ultimately been one of your drivers and uh, what, what sort of ultimate purpose have you found yourself being attracted to? 
given that you didn't end up in law school. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, I'm a passionate artist. I came to that a little later than some people. Some people find it in high school and uh, I didn't find it to university, but I knew I'd found my purpose when I, when I started to take that journey in university and into the arts. And, uh, and I come from a, a real business family. Like my mom was the first female stockbroker in Alberta. Oh, wow. and my sister, my sister is still, uh, operated her business. <laughs> so, um, so it was a bit of a shock to everybody when I declared my intention to go into the arts. But uh, I will say when I received the uh, uh, my induction into the Cultural Hall of Fame here in Edmonton, my mom was very proud. I was very glad that she lived to see that. So, um, so, so then, John, was, yeah. was there any uh, particular moments in university where, like, you were on stage or whatever and, and you found – you found yourself, I guess. Yeah, there was a few of them actually, and and it really had to do more with um, mentors, people that I came in contact with that just meant a lot to me. Um, my first acting professor, Thomas Peacock, uh, at the university, just such a solid human being and so passionate about teaching and instilling that in us um and then my my other mentor Jim DeFelice who then became a good friend and actually helped a lot with in the beginning of Shadow Theater he helped uh, quite a bit so um their kindness and generosity and openness helped a lot and then just as you get better at what you do the more experience you get and you get more and more confident in your own skills. There's a certain certain times where you just hit it and you're just in a groove. I know one one part for me was playing the player king and Rosencrantz, Field and Stern are dead. And you know, I just it was just like flying almost. You were just in such a groove on the stage. It was really delightful. And then you find that as a director too, because you're 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 not looking at just one part, you're looking at the whole piece, right? And and uh, boy, when that works, it's just really exciting. You've got all those tremendous artists that you're working with towards one final goal, and it just all comes together. It's just it's it's a real adrenaline rush. Yeah. So go ahead, Reed. I, I was just marveling. I, I I made a little couple of notes to myself of some things you've said. It's amazing to me how often, Derek, we've heard in our podcast people. Uh, citing mentors as uh, crucial to their quest. I think we, uh, I think we're really learning something from that particular uh, repetition, if you will. Well, and, and I think it's essential. And if we're, if we're talking about quests and we look at all the uh, great mythology throughout the world, there's always a mentor within all those quests, you know, whether it's Merlin or, uh, Ulysses or, you know, there's always somebody there. Yeah. Gan Gandalf's our favorite. Uh, yeah. Gandalf. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I also noted, John, your, I, I really admire the transition you made from, uh, whether you was conscious or not, but it just per part, 
partly because of location from the old Varscona to the new. You went from really uh, guerrilla theater in the fringe where it's just making it up to survive to something very sophisticated and a subscriber base and, uh, and a little more um, elegant, if you will, or permanent. And, uh, and you made that transition. Not everybody does. And uh, I really, I really admire your level headedness through it. Well, thank you. Eden. Um, that was a hundred percent conscious choice. Like there's what you can do at the fringe is kind of like, you know, you beg for and steal everything you can get. But when you have a building like this and you're inviting people in, you want to show them something pretty spectacular, I think. In, I agree. in every way. Yeah. I remember the I remember the old Varscona. I was not here for a lot of its uh, history, but I do remember the old Varscona theater and I and the plays that I got to see there toward the end of its existence. And then now I remember very well the first show that was on in the Varscona theater new the new one that opened it up and it was very stark that yeah. uh, what used to be what used to be acceptable for set dressing in the old Varscona theater because it was kind of uh, make make do theater uh, would not would not uh, didn't cut it it didn't cut it in the new theater no. where uh, where a certain standard was raised I yeah that's right was, yeah and we we took that. Because, you know, that first show wasn't mine. <laughs> so we had that first show <laughs> to sit back and look at it and go, oh, okay. Well, that's a great lesson for us all. So uh, we understood right then that we had to completely up our game. And, you know, so we've worked very hard to make sure that we do that. Yeah. So, John, what, uh, who are you responsible to when you talk about upping your game in your mind? Well, really, I'm, I'm responsible, uh, first and foremost, to my patrons, the people who are actually buying the tickets, right? So we want to make sure that they feel that they've, they're getting spectacular value when they come here. And, um, and, and honestly, almost all my decisions revolve around that, is revolve around that. Uh, we want to pick, you know, we, we definitely want to pick plays that are going to challenge us as artists and everything, but I, I always take into consideration um, the whole scope of what we're offering to um, to our patrons, our, our subscribers, the single ticket purchasers. And, you know, I have a little internal thing that says I'm only allowed one failure every five years. So, <laughs> yeah. Really? So, I, I yeah. So, I, I feel I have to be batting about about 900. <laughs> wow. So, that's, so, yeah. so, so, John, this is fantastic. Reed says, can I bring my uh, theater buddy into the show and here we're getting schooled in business. And yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, sometimes it's very hard. Like I've worked in and with very complex organizations where they don't see the patron. They never see yeah. the patron. They can't envision what the patron is. And so what you've described for us is, is beautiful in this, in the sense that there's still all these complex things that have to come together. So, you know, one person, and have a fantastic experience. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, too, Derek, that goes back to uh, a lot of what I learned at the video store. The video store was a, a unique business model because you had the same customers coming in your store sometimes four times a week. 
So you got to know people on a really personal level. Like, you know, it, 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 it's really interesting. People knew me by my first name and I knew people by their first name. And uh, we'd always, at, at the end of each year, we'd give our top hundred uh, customers a gift, right? Whether it was a t-shirt or something, we'd always like reach out because those people were uh, keeping us, you know, going and we're spreading the good word to other people. And so we kind of took that same model, that customer service model. And I got a lot of that from courses I took. You know, I took um, some customer service courses and those kind of things. And uh, they were very useful to me. And for me, customer service is at the, the forefront of everything we do. And, and even going back as we're coming through the pandemic, like we've had this discussion uh, well, what do we do if a customer asks about the, you know, about, oh, so here's an example. We had a customer who had a couple tickets left over from when we had to shut down. They were going to buy a new subscription package, but wondered if they could have four comps instead of just the two. And we said, yes, just because our model right now is whatever they want. We want to make that happen. And we want to get people back in the theater and, and get them feeling comfortable back in the theater. So the answer is going to be yes for the next year. <laughs> so, well, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, I wish we had more time to talk. And I think what we, Derek, could we bring Mr. Uh, Hudson back since he's your cousin? <laughs> I, I, I want to hear about um, how we get people back in the theater and what that business looks like. Well, then yeah. let's do that. John, can we do yeah. that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. That'd be great. John, for now, where can people find you if they want to connect with you on the web? Oh, uh, great. Well, they can email me at uh, director at shadowtheater.org. That's always a good way to get a hold of me. And the website is shadowtheater.org? Yeah, Shadow Theater uh, is the website, shadowtheater.org. But my email is director at shadowtheater.org. Okay, great. Derek? Derek, if people want to talk to you, I don't know why, but if they did, would, where would they find you? DerekHudson.ca on the web is a great way to track me down. I like that very much. Well, for Bryn Griffiths in the studio, I'm Reed McCall. I'm your handsome host. And until next time, I just want to say once again, consider your quest. <laughs> <laughs>